All right, hello and welcome to the Bean Talking with Peak Performers podcast. I'm Tim Beanland and on this show we talk to peak performers in their field so you can then go perform at your best. Just before I start this show, I want to talk to you guys about an initiative that I've started and that is producing podcasts for business owners and people that want their own amazing show and amazing marketing content on the back end of that. A little bit more about that at the end of the show, but for now let's get into our guest for today and that's Melissa Peppers. Melissa is an international business designer, strategist and futurist. She's a speaker who creates companies for the future today via her application of trends and insights into culture. She's a really amazing person. We had a great conversation. Let's get into the show and hope you guys enjoy it. So let's go. Melissa. Hey, lovely to meet you. Thank you for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. You're a graphic, international graphic artist. Um, you are also a business strategist, um, done a lot of speaking as well, which is really cool. Um, that's my sum up of you, but I guess for people that don't know you, um, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm one of those people that's always doing different things. So I found myself, um, always following the different kind of streams that I'm interested in, but there's some common threads through there. I love, um, consumer behavior. So when I saw, um, that your podcast, I was like, oh, this space is amazing. Mm. (laughs) Um, I really, in terms of what I'm doing predominantly with the business I really love um helping people find like I think everyone's a combination of really unique uh, skills and memories and experience um, where they can see um sort of pain points in the world in a unique way if they're only uncovered um and that that can be turned into a unique business as well um it's obviously really important to make sure that you're not just trying to find a product fit where there might not actually be an audience for it. I think the audience is just as important. So it's not one or the other, which I see a lot, um, Mm. but I wanted to help people create um, a life that they didn't know was possible to live, which is what I did for myself as well. (laughs) Fantastic. And that's actually a really cool thing for most business owners. Um, They see this problem in the world, but then communicating at their fix to it is a big problem. And and what you just mentioned there, um, I'd love to get into uh, sort of how you saved yourself. Um, I'd, I'd love to come back to that, but I guess to your point, um, when b- a business owner has this idea, how can you, I guess, structure a way to help them show it to the world and yeah, yeah. get their change? Yeah. A lot of people. I mean, there's a lot yeah, there. There's, there's, a, there's lot a lot there, there. but this it comes down to fairly simple, I think, basis. Um, f- most of the people that come to me already with an idea, they haven't worked in the industry of the idea itself. So they're like, is this insane? I think it's really important. I've experienced it myself more as the customer sort of side, um, or I've just come up with an idea and I know there's something in this. Um, Is that insane? Can I go into an industry I've not worked in before? I'm pretty sure I'm onto something. So we try and uncover a few things at once. Mm. Um, Validating the idea is really crucial. Like is, um, is it actually a good idea? And I, there's sort of, four things that I think are really important there. One is, um, is it interesting? Do people like find it exciting and appealing? Um, and that's often related to cultural trends. One is, um, are you capable of delivering on that trend, which especially for business owners entering a new kind of space, or maybe, maybe the thing that's new for them is actually running it as a business, which is an additional kind of layer. Some people have both or just one or the other. You need to make sure that you understand what promise you're giving, which is partially the promise, partially your capacity to deliver it, and partially the people's expectations on the other side. Mm. 
you need to understand um, how the customer actually interacts with that business as well. So people can sell themselves out of things that they want to buy or that are relevant and are going to improve their life, perhaps due to anxiety or you know a whole host of other behavioral things. And then there's also the role of brand and the magic. So I, I don't, I'm not one of those people that believes it customer is everything and let's all go towards what the customer wants because I think that creates a really generic business where everyone's heading to the same point and I think there's no competitive advantage mm. in that. And then there's the flip side of that where it's all about the brand and trying to find a fit and it's very forceful and I don't think it's um, an effective way either and I, I like to kind of cross back and forth between those two and I use those four sort of areas as a guiding point i guess yeah well let's talk a bit about brand because that encompasses a lot of your work you've done um your previous life before your business you spent a lot of time at ogilvy and other agencies yeah. and and that would have given you a oh, massive 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 sort of leg up <laughs> because now you're working with with because i really i think brand's important for a lot of businesses but but for a business that has a budget to work with in ogilvy or, or whatever brand it was amazing in, uh, for exactly so, yeah so <laughs> I, I guess for you when someone says brand because it can be a bit of a buzzword beyond brand be, mm-hmm. be all that kind of and stuff. people do mean different things and approach yeah. it in totally different ways yeah. um so yeah as well. <laughs> I, I guess the question for me there is so what does brand mean to you yeah and then is the two-pronged and then how how important is brand yeah, yeah yeah definitely i think it's one of the crucial things connecting it's it's not relevant for every type of business um if you're perhaps an international construction company and the entire way that you build customers and deliver on projects actually rarely involves brand it may not be relevant for you for the kind of businesses i think brand is really important for are ones where they're um, end customer facing more than business to business there are business to business examples as well but where you're going to enter a niche and be what's called a micro monopoly in that space. So for me, immediately you can probably see business and brand are really tied together. Um, and that kind of led me to one of the reasons I left the ad world and went out onto my own, why I built this methodology, why I realized that the thing I was supposed to be doing day to day was totally different to something I'd ever heard before was because it seemed to me in advertising that when our customers were coming, the thing that was making them excited often connected back not only to their brand but to the business and its competitive sort of spirit underneath that and I was always more attracted to that and so even though in a past life I was um, graphic designer and then um, I worked on experience design and web design and design lead and all that kind of thing it was um, the thing I was interested in wasn't just the beauty and magic of a brand it was the charisma kind of underneath it and not I don't even mean copywriting I don't even mean reputation I mean the the competitive advantage of the business underlying that. And I think if you can have that strong base, you can build that brand on top of that, then together you've got something extremely strong. Yeah, well, that, that sort of brings me to don't be better, be different. Yeah, you yeah, know? definitely. And, and that obsession of, hang on, it's, it's cool that you've got all these features and benefits yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, whatever. Why are you? Why, are you different? why, why should I care? Um, oh, that's been very, very relevant. I, I feel like people see it as just tweaking one thing as well. I don't see competitive advantage like that. I see it as something that's building a legacy where you're sowing seeds and those seeds make it harder and harder to copy your special source. So I'm really interested in trade secrets. I'm really interested in can we do something that right now maybe it seems like extra work or um, irrelevant, but when we've when we've made it to this point, 
it's actually going to become hugely advantageous for for our business. Mm -hmm. Um, So you build like an economy of scale or an economy of learning and that's just one layer. And brand is another layer of differentiation. I see that competitive advantage is like many layers of differentiation kind of layered on top of each other. And so you get this complexity that feels um, nearly like when you you meet a person Mm -hmm. versus... Uh, perhaps a robot or something it's it's complex yeah it's not just one thing I, I love the parallel so I got into sales very early at 18 yeah. and it's my first job jumping on the phones and um, basically I saw the parallels between sales and marketing and humans and relationships yeah and relate yeah uh, it, it was it was this light bulb man as an 18 year old kid who you know, it was in high school and wanted to date girls and, and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I was like, wow, if I learn this sales thing. Um, <laughs> so myself. Yeah, you know, I can sell myself. It's true though. But then, and then you go through through high school, you go through university and, and then you're talking about getting a job and they say, okay, well, your resume and your job interview is about selling yourself. Oh, yeah. So then here's me sitting back going, all right, beauty, I've, I've got those skills. And, and Absolutely. But, but I guess... Also, what's important in terms of relationship is the relationship that the consumer has with brand yeah. and and building that. Um, and again, it can be a buzzword, but if done correctly, like you've got an iPhone, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that relationship that you have with Apple, you may not even consider other brands because There's of it. So, so many layers into, in especially the brands that we see as the biggest and the greatest. So, and um, an example I saw recently was like top 10 brands in Australia. And I think Woolworths was up there, but so were mining companies. So was Telstra, a great brand that's an effective brand also doesn't have to be a brand that's loved um, when it's complex. I'm not saying to go out and, and run businesses unscrupulously no. or that kind of thing, but uh, it's it's way more complex than people can kind of imagine um and well, i really yeah yeah sorry i cut <laughs> no, you no, off no, but it. a You're brand uh, yeah exactly <laughs> but it, it just brings a, a brand that people hate i mean mm. some people love him but a brand that people like donald trump it's an effective brand very effective yeah, yeah, brand because yeah. influence is one of the roles of a brand as well um of course you want to attract and influence the right people and um brand plays different roles in that as well but i always see one thing that i think is or a few a few layers again, it's it's those same four layers as relevant to business is also relevant to brand. But one thing that for me towards the end of getting my methodology where it is now was we're in advertising and we're working for big brands, but social media at that point was relatively new. Um, not as a not as a thing, MySpace and other things had existed. People were on Instagram already, but social media roles didn't exist in big agencies already wow. then really. So it was the very start and we all didn't know what we were doing. We would hire the wrong people because mm. we didn't even, there weren't even buzzwords. Like we had no way of understanding what we were even trying to do, um, where business, you know, metrics can come into that. Unknown unknowns is something we should definitely speak about. Yeah. But um when I was looking, I was like, oh, this business is really effective. Um, I didn't know I had the methodology, but I was I was unef- unintentionally going through this checklist. I was like, the business is delivering on its promise and it understands its promise. You know, the um, people, the brand is beautiful and it's magic and it's attracting the right kind of people. Um, and the business is capable of, you know, meeting all of those needs. Um, however, there was, I realized that there was a piece missing 
I was like, why do these two businesses that are doing all the same things, one goes viral? And that was what was happening. Our customers were like, how do we go viral? What's this about? And, like, <laughs> and it was that was new at that time. Viral was a new word. Definitely a buzz. The, one of the first buzzwords of social media as far as businesses were concerned. And oh, it's all about we didn't attention. know. We didn't know how. Yeah. That wasn't, and now there's like a million theories. But um, underneath it all, I think relevance is is the thing that connects something that's viral versus something that's not. And what is relevant to you is totally different to someone else, but where to look is trends. So trends is, doesn't mean go and jump on the latest trend because that trend might not be relevant to you, it might not be relevant to your customers, might not be relevant to your brand, might not be relevant to your business. But if you can see trends as actually a measure of cultural attention and relevance in culture and kind of realize that each trend is actually a layers and layers and layers of all these other trends, then you start kind of being able to understand. It's like, I don't know, like water flow or something and where rivers are going, which which stream is right to be in? Where do you sit? Are you a rock? Are you disrupting that stream? Are you, are you guiding the stream itself? Are you just floating down the stream ahead of everyone else? Like where do you fit sort of in that space? It's a weird analogy I've mm. never tried before. But no, it's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> but trends definitely and brands because a brand is a, not just a, a person but it's a, it's a culture as well and layers of cultures, um, and you see the best brands go viral for that reason. Exactly. I'll, I'll actually give a bit of context to that yeah, and jumping yeah. on trends, so TikTok. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I grew a TikTok account, and I, a few of my followers would know this, a TikTok account to 20,000 followers yeah. in four weeks. Yep. Now, how did I do that based on trends? So I realized, I don't know how much you know about TikTok. but um, yep. So Visco Girls, do you yep. know what a Visco Girl is? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. our listeners, a Visco Girl is a group of girls on TikTok. They wear long, oversized T-shirts, love their scrunchies. Um, what else? Uh, they filter using the app Visco. Yeah, they've got, they've got <laughs> the their SEO. own filter. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Um, they metal straws, don't use plastic, and their tagline is save the turtles. Mm. And I was, and I love turtles myself. It's, it's, it's always been, it's always been a passion of mine. So I was like, hang on, if I make an account where I just call it Rescue Turtle, and then I put up a bunch of turtle <laughs> videos. Oh, I love it. Turtle videos, just beautiful stuff, put emotional stuff over, yeah, over the yeah, top yeah, of yeah. it. You we'll know, tap into tap the layers into of that. those trends. What and then underneath, it, one of those videos got on the For You page, which is like the news feed of of TikTok. You got four hundred and seventy-four thousand views. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it, and it's it yeah. shows it's you're you're going, you're looking at audience, you're looking at your own capabilities, and you're kind of going, what are all of the cultural strings that are connecting us? Mm. What are all the behavioral strings connecting us? And then experimenting, and that's what like a lot of people are like. Should I be on TikTok with my business? And it's like, well, in some senses, it's an open API right now. It's a great time to definitely join, but. What, Really, the question is, what role does innovation play in your business? What role does experimentation play? Experimentation might not be a business priority for you, in which case dabble every now and then. But if experimentation is a high priority and you can see real potential specifically on TikTok and the audiences that you can get there and what you can do with it or just to play like in, in your case as yeah. well. And I'm, I'm out there playing on TikTok as well. I've got a few different accounts and mm. I'm just trying all kinds trying of things. Measure, yeah, Because yeah. it's, it's one of those things, people don't understand it. If you build an audience on TikTok, you can actually cross-pollinate that audience across to Instagram, Facebook, yeah. you know, where the organic reach at the moment is going through the floor. So if you can, and, and we'll get back to the brand build topic. Build your own stream. Build your own stream, build your own <laughs> brand, get on, a, get on a trend and then go, well, 
you know, cool, I've got this audience now, let's flick it over there. So that's You can always monetize it. I don't know if you've seen it. I only saw this for the first time yesterday and I, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure what, what we can say on on, on here oh, um, regarding taboos. No, you too. Yeah, no, no. This um, this, this podcast. Look, listeners <laughs> along here. Um, you know, this is a conversation. So the conversation goes where the conversation goes. Cool, so, amazing. No. So I saw it and I was like, "This, this is great. This is something. One of the best things I've seen in a while in terms of tapping into lots of cultural trends and using it to grow quickly." And I could see a million ways that you can monetize it afterwards, whether or not that that's the plan, but there definitely was a plan behind this experiment. Mm. So the way I saw it was a friend tagged me because she knew my own cultures. I was interested in tech. I've been really interested in, I'm always interested in emerging trends. One of those trends is um, non-human influences. I'm really interested in that space. It's growing. There's already, um, there's already agencies that represent non-human influences. So it could be a CGI person that's um, teaming up with major fashion labels. Like this is a very real and already established industry. And there's a norm in that industry already. So every system has a status quo that it kind of creates as part of how how it emerges as a trend and the business and all of those layers, and this just fully disrupts it. So what it is, it started with a Muppet, who's the like the influencer. <laughs> I think his um, Instagram handle is Lux dot one hundred, and he's this like. Like essentially this fuckboys like guy <laughs> from America, and he I'll explain started, for the audience yeah, listening yeah. on. So, <laughs> so what that that term means is it's yeah just someone who's not interested in a relationship, uh, classic frat dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, or, or woman like it can go both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but he's 90, the player you dated once. Yeah, yeah. Ninety ninety percent of that audience, and and look, it's not. I don't condone those behaviours. I'm very much a relationship person. <laughs> it exists. Um, but it exists, and you know, each to their own. But but for context, all right. So yeah, that, yeah. that's what it is. And so there's yeah. one of the big cultural layers. There's the cultural layer of the um the non-human influencer. Anyway, and there's a cultural layer of memes connected to what memes his, are so his powerful. World. Yeah. And Muppets in memes with the Kermit meme as well. Like there's so many layers to this. I can see why the contagion worked. Um, essentially how this Muppet wrote, and he's got an Instagram page and like it's it's just like any other guy like that. Um, what you can, <laughs> what he started, how he got noticed was um, sending Muppet dick pics to <laughs> <laughs> heaps and heaps of girls and us. They started messaging oh, no. on Twitter. Some of them were influencers and they were like, I, the first thing I saw was like a collection of pictures of his page when it was early on of the dick pic and of um, of a girl on Twitter saying, I think she was an influencer, saying, um, I just got a, a Muppets dick pic in my, slid into my DMs. I can't even make this shit up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best PR ever. Like, this is a story. Because, <laughs> like, you know, it, it sadly it happens. And, and yeah. I, I've got um, oh, yeah. female, friend, female friends that talk about their dating experiences. and I get it on LinkedIn. Not dick oh, pics, but I get, I get horrible messages. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think one of my other friends as well, she used to get hit on on LinkedIn. Yeah. It's like, dude, no, the... Read the room. Yeah, yeah. Read the room. And, Understand and the culture. <laughs> sadly, it is, and, but sadly, it yeah. is something that that happens due to technology. Like 
these these people think it's appropriate to slide in with with that <laughs> and and but to take that and then go just I'm going to turn into like it, it then becomes this because girls talk about it if some guy sends you a, a, mm, mm, a pic like that oh, yeah. they they show it to their friends oh yeah you know? absolutely that's hilarious and he's using that momentum to well whoever's behind it's using that momentum and there's actually a whole series of Muppets I looked in the friends and there's all these the Muppets other Muppets aren't... that are coming they're going to come out as part of this world like they're not like they're the boom. Muppets themselves as a brand aren't they don't know this is going because we're yeah. talking about brand right yeah they haven't tapped in but I'm sure that there's I. If they're not aware today, they're aware this week, especially because yeah. of the Kermit meme. Yeah. It's going to make it back to them yeah. for sure. Yeah. So um, I don't yeah. know. They, they might. <laughs> uh, how would they, I, I guess, would would you see that as damaged? If you were on the brand team of, you know, of Muppets, would you see that as damaged to your brand? Or not what? at all. Uh, so there's, a, there's many layers. It's how, it's how you approach it. And I see this kind of playing out in a few different ways. One, when you attract energy to an audience um, or to a trend in this case Muppets will call that that layer of trend um, so when you attract energy to it it actually benefits everybody in there in that space because it's new eyes it's new flow it's new water where that water goes and how that works for you can play out in many different ways. Um, definitely it's a conversation worth attempting to jump into because it's your cultural conversation. So it's mm. one of your cultural layers. So when people hear join the conversation, don't join any conversation, join the relevant Join ones. the right one, yeah. So they've got a chance to use it. To, to use it to their advantage how do we is it uh, is child friendly an issue um you know work out how different ways you could fit and sort of test it out there is a lot of momentum around it and high volatility so it can go bad really quickly as well but mostly it'll be forgotten soon after if the if the trend doesn't start tapping into newer trends with more energy and continue to evolve and one way we see that evolution of trends which i see it heaps in business where it's it's like fashion coming back kind of thing, but the business structure equivalent. So one thing I really see now working with like um, subscription box brands and that kind of thing is they're an evolved hamper. The hamper is, and there's still hamper brands around, but the subscription box is an evolved model of that. And we see when a trend comes back like this, that older brands can suddenly pick up steam. It's one of the reasons street brands became such a, a became a luxury symbol was a, was that kind of revival. And um, in the US right now, um, I know that like waters and seltzers are a huge, huge trend, especially connected with cannabis industry. And even though it's not a kind of brand, La Croix, which is a popular um, brand for from long ago, but it hasn't been it hasn't been particularly popular in the last few years, suddenly got an, a massive uptick in customers because they re-ticked all the right boxes again. But what did they do? They yeah, what did, yeah, what did they do specifically? They did nothing. nothing. They were just them. But they yeah. happened to be relevant to all of those cultures. So suddenly people there was a demand for them again that was just created by the stream licking those, you know, dry old tracks again and i haven't seen lacroix do much with it which i think is such a shame because mm. people they're probably enjoying the sudden boost of their brand and and doing kind of operational things related to that but when all of the energy is coming to you do something with it because mm. you can um as long as you're ethical and once again you tap into all of your correct trends definitely, but, definitely. yeah understanding competitive advantage might be the issue there <laughs> 
So I want to touch on, um, you just said subscription boxes and, and things you work with. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about the work that you've done and, and, and the brands you're working with. And um, yeah, just, I know, I know it's hard to pick a favorite. Um, no, no everyone, I don't have a favorite everyone, of anything. That's why I do so many but, things. But do you have <laughs> someone that you're really proud of that you're like, I'm working with this brand and, and you know, what I've taken them from here to here and they're just really proud of There's them. one that's, they're not out yet, but it, it's definitely been the most it reminded me why I'm why I'm being crazy and like quit my job with no money after a health crisis and things and, and jumped into it. And it allowed me to use the full potency of what I can do in a way that they could see that potency as well. Um, so they will be coming. Um, they're a crossover of augmented reality and dining. So augmented reality, well, in their case, it's more mixed reality, but basically it's projection mapped um, graphics onto the dining table. And that on its own is not unique globally. Um, there are other brands in that space. It's obviously cool already. Um, and that's why it's probably a really great example as well is because it is kind of a niche. Um, and I love working with brands where we can build them the goal for me is to build a brand that's what I call a micro monopoly and it can become a, a major monopoly as well. But we want to enter a space where they're the only one and um, they're doing it in a way that no one else is in a way that's hard to copy and we can build all these trade secrets and all those layers I was talking about. So they came to me and they were like, hey, we've got dining background. We've we've been working with projection graphics on our team before. We have all of the skills to do this but we want to do something better. And what was currently out, or what is currently out there, um, there's a, a few different brands in the space, but essentially you'll see things, and it's still an incredible experience. I would, you know, you would absolutely go. Um, but maybe there's a seafood course that's um, released as part of a degustation, and then you'll see a bit of a story about um, where that seafood came from, or there'll be, you know, ocean smells enter the room as part of the um, mixed reality experience and there'll be graphics of the sea and um, enhancing the experience but everyone's kind of following that status quo and I love to kind of come in and <laughs> change things as one of the as one of the ways to let to signal to customers that you're about to do something different so I went away and did lots and lots of layers of research um, using my methodology and I came um to the understanding that what customers really want in this space um, was, especially um, if it opens in Melbourne first, um, which is most likely where it will open, um, tech early adopters in Melbourne, which is who's going to come there, ones that love food and experiences, they're driven by um, intrigue, the emotions connected to mystery and intrigue, and they what they really want is to dine somewhere that they could not dine otherwise. And so we've built all these secrets around how to do that in a way that's really difficult to copy. But as an example, we started asking questions like, what does wolf taste like? What does, uh, you know, what do the snazberries taste like? And how can we bring, how can we take people to places that they couldn't otherwise go? And where do they actually want to go? And so you can see the trend layers, you can see the behavioral layers that might be kind of relevant here. But it got to this um, format that we've built where I like I just cannot wait <laughs> till it exists because I can't think of a person I know not only in that market but in wider markets that won't want to talk about it, won't want to come, won't want to come again and again and again as well. And that's really important. You don't want to just jump on a volatile trend with the whole business. You need to make sure it's a sustainable competitive advantage as well. But um, we're, we're looking at some 
truly, truly crazy things there. And I'm, yeah, really excited about that one. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of brings me back to customer experience because what you're doing there is just ramping up customer experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which and is, it's the brand is an experience. Yeah. Um, it's how that experience is received and what is more than we talk about the experience economy and all of these things but um, what we really see especially when it takes off as a business is when someone taps an untapped area and so that's why I call it a micro monopoly is because you're the only one that serves the customer that way you serve them um, not only do you serve them but you create a unique type of experience that's not captured elsewhere so not only do you not have any competitors, that's one of the layers of competitive advantage I think is great, um, but also people, other businesses will kind of ignore you at the start because they're like, oh, you do that thing. We don't do that thing because it's so mm. specific. But we make sure we're tapping a big enough audience and an audience that can keep growing and a business that can keep even expanding beyond that niche, um, which I've done in my own brand as well. And we see... Uh, we see the business rise in popularity really, really quickly. And that's the Lux 100 kind of guy again. It's what you, it was like six followers at the start. It's 47,000 genuine followers now. Wait, wait. It hasn't six, been long. Six to 47,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. I'm not more a qual than a quant girl. But <laughs> yeah, of course. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that's real engaged marketable them what's called a marketing qualified lead you would know me like sales background you can do something with that energy and with all those cultural layers i could see brand collabs i could see uh there's just so so much potential there and it breeds more and more potential and i know myself when i entered i entered in one industry i didn't know how to package my own service yeah i knew the methodology i knew what i did where it worked I picked that industry for a whole bunch of reasons called a niche entry strategy um and i often do that with clients not always but I rose to global um, expertise in three different industries in two years. So I can tell you that <laughs> it works. It works again and again and again um, as long as you know, you're happy to do the work and as long as you can tick those four boxes um, mm. with something special. Yeah, I'd love to actually touch now a little bit into you as a person, um, <laughs> Yeah, which is always cool. Um, international, you've got international designer there and you just touched on global yeah, yeah. experience. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about your, your global experience and yeah. how that happened. So, and, yeah, so many business owners will be like, I want to, sorry, I want to dominate Melbourne, I want to dominate Australia, but you've gone, no, 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 stuff that, let's, yeah. just, let's dominate the world. So well, Borders haven't always been the most interesting to me yeah. <laughs> in that sense. Um, I've worked internationally nationally in high school um so I, i've been running businesses since primary school fantastic <laughs> it's like a weird yeah. you know, i just i'm a highly curious person i crave variety i crave experience and novelty um i love having fun with people and i think those personalities like if we can have a crazy fun time and that also pays the bills like oh my god is that not what life should be um so in I guess it will explain the high school example will probably explain quickest like how international kind of happens um, is for me, I look to the trends first and sometimes trends happening more somewhere else than they are locally. I remember looking into a sugaring business um, with uh, a client, a friend, and I found that Germany was the biggest place where that was an intrigue, like a source of intrigue in Australia. It wasn't so much a thing um, at that point. And it's following all of those kind of layers. For me, I was like also nerdy and into, I was on graphic design forums because I'd already, even though I was a terrible designer at that point, I had already done two degrees online. <laughs> I love learning. Mm -hmm. um, two degrees online, not with um, any kind of qualification, not with a um, 
someone looking at my work, but I just literally saw all the notes because the internet was pretty open back then, style up days, um, all of the notes and all of the assignments. And I just did them on my own. This is year eight and year nine um, and a bit of year 10. And so by year 10, when I'd started this extra business, I was on all these design forums trying to learn from other designers and just being immersed in that. It was my culture. Um, and what I started doing as a result of that was creating, cause I always was attached, would attach it to a business model of some kind, even before I realized what I was doing, I realized on forums that, um, especially guys, but in general, people on forums that were lead users of those forums loved having a really good signature. And so even though initially I started selling to other designers and I was worse than those designers at what I did, I sold email signatures online to people all over the world um, who were in various different forums and wanted a cool, very grungy email signature. And it's like, I made heaps of money on the side of school. I also had a job and like all these other things I was doing. How empowering is that when you're going to school, (laughs) but you've also got this side hustle business, like, like, and you're making money and... You know, you you seem like someone who would have been a good student in school as well. Yeah, right? as it's well. A, but I didn't fit. I wasn't. Um, school wasn't the right place for me. No, but it I isn't well for many entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. It, it has a place, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So I definitely did well in school, but I was also constantly breaking the rules. So I was like, I fell somewhere, I guess, in between. Like, we'll tolerate this and call it charming, mostly, and sometimes hmm. detention. But as long as you're also getting the marks as well. And like I, I was lucky that I went to a school where um, bullying wasn't as much of a thing. Mm. For me, um, school was actually most difficult in primary school. I was on another page to everybody else. And when we kind of all hit teenagers, we, it all evened up a bit for me. People got me for the first time. But I spent most of my time just watching people <laughs> and coming up with interesting businesses based on what they were doing um, that fit those scouts. It's like I was always doing this but not realizing it and yeah. not doing it well. <laughs> That's, that's a true puff and entrepreneur. Yeah. It's um, looking at people. I, I love watching people in supermarkets, trying yeah. like making decisions or oh just shopping God. centers. And we're like, why are they buying this thing? And, and um, yeah, really, really fascinating. Really well, fascinating. I can see you just like kind of hovering and being like, yeah. mm, and then they're like, who's that creep? But actually <laughs> you're like, oh, my gosh, I know what to do with this insight today. Yeah. And you build a whole empire based <laughs> on it. Just it's like, around, oh, they missed it. Yeah, or it's just walking around <laughs> shops and going, okay, well, that's the promotion that they're doing. <laughs> I drive my girlfriend crazy by pointing out different billboards <laughs> and going, oh, well, that's why they're doing this. And, or, or like, no, no, I don't want to skip through the ads. I want to watch the ads. <laughs> it's, yeah, the ads are the best part. Super yeah, Bowl, yeah, yeah. Uh, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but curiosity can, like, I've been told I was creepy. I think one of my old managers called me depraved at one point. Um, but, like, <laughs> because of my just interest in things and curiosities, the people that don't understand curiosity will call it that, mm. will call it creep. But actually, it's just curiosity and the curiosity is magic. Like, follow it. It's it's an energy. It's good to – a lot of people aren't open to new experiences, which means that they live this comfortable but very samey kind of life and entrepreneurs are never going to be those people. Mm. So, like, you want to embrace that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, tell me a little bit about The Leap. Um, because yes, you had those other businesses in in high school, and, and I don't want to be offensive here, but yeah, see, it was just they, yeah. they were side hustles. You yeah, absolutely, yeah. side hustles for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah, tiny but then, side hustles. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, but they made money, <laughs> and they made money. Yeah, yeah. that's a good thing. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but true. The point There's nothing the, wrong with yeah, side hustles. The point exactly, and side hustles are freaking fantastic. Um, but the 
point I'm trying to make is you've made a leap from big agency land into your own business. Yeah. Um, and and oh, you, you mentioned a health scare yeah, as well. Yeah, it was a real cliche let's, actually. <laughs> yeah, let's go down the um, cliche. I love the work I was doing, but I'd been building this methodology in the background. Just I, I've got even more hunches now that I continue to follow new mm. places I'm going to go. Um, but I woke up one day and was walking to uphill. It was a 10-minute walk uphill to the station with my partner and he'd go to work. And I was like, oh, I just don't remember being this unfit. And then it over the next month or two, it accelerated quite rapidly to the point where I couldn't really walk for more than 10 minutes without being in a state of medical emergency known as rhabdomyolysis. So if anyone's watched Diagnosis like um, on Netflix season one or episode one, um, or uh, had a muscle kind of injuries before, essentially what uh, we don't officially know still, and I'm in much, much better place now, but I went through a barrage of tests of what is happening to this person. Um, the symptom we had to go off at the start, which was a funny conversation with my GP because he, we have a good relationship over the years and he knows I know myself. But I was like, oh, look, I'm really sore whenever I move. <laughs> and he was like, well, you're probably injured somewhere and that's why movement hurts. And, of course, a general practitioner, their job is not, to understand specific weird freaks of nature that might be happening internally. Their job is to understand what the most common things are because they are the most common and it's best to rule them out first, you know. So I'm like, oh, look, he was saying injury is um, you have an injury and we need to find out what it is because the injury is hurting you and that's why exercise hurts. And I was like, no, I think it's the exercise itself. <laughs> so the main symptom I actually had was exercise intolerance. That's the thing. <laughs> um, and uh, it didn't mean I was intolerant to exercise. As I discovered later, one of my main exercise was actually one of my main treatments. Um, but yeah, crazy, crazy tests, all kinds of crazy things. And it got me to this point in life where I felt like I was going to die. I felt in my body like this is something's going to happen here. And I would, I would literally be lying in bed, use any moment I had in that day to use my natural resources, which is learning and inquisitiveness, I read everything I could read. I, like, Dr. Googled hard. I, I read any um, study that I could find that had some of the symptoms that I was listing, especially together because they were very unusual symptoms, and just read and read and tr started trying little bits and little bits and pulled myself out of that hole. I had problems in the medical industry as well, not with my GP, who is amazing, but I had um, the first surgery people um so it's a muscle biopsy and they take like three cubes of your muscle from about six centimeters into your thighs um out and they it was just left on a bench so they couldn't test it at all had to do it again on the other side I got burnt and the surgeon lied about it it was crazy at that time especially because it was terrifying I didn't know what was happening to my body and then I felt totally alone because no, not only did no one in my life understand what I was going through even if they were trying it was just like a real rock bottom for me and suddenly the treatments I was doing for myself started working. And I definitely work with a team of neuromuscular people now who have helped me um, as well and, and explained why, used the information that I had found to help them in their inquiry of working out what was sort of going on. Um, but it led me to a point where I was like, well, if I could die at any time, and it's the biggest cliche, it's like you, you don't understand love songs do fall in love. It's absolutely this, um, you know, I had I didn't want to live on anyone else's watch anymore and the entrepreneurial spirit that had laid dormant in me for a while and people were like, when are you going to 
turn your was a full-time job that was now a side hustle when are you going to do that again because they could see it in me and I didn't know it was there I was like no I gotta do gotta do this for me um and I quit my job with basically no money in my account (laughs) and started and it's one of those stories as well and that's been a huge issue not having correct finances and not wanting to get a loan which is just um obstinance like oh like what's it called like resisting stubbornness mm. essentially no, it's I think not it's a benefit good. not to getting it. a loan is fantastic the best loan you can get is make sales for yourself it's true but when you're struggling to pay mortgage and like uh, well, health costs yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. look i can understand that hard, but, but that <laughs> yeah. keeps you hungry like it does yeah. and it helped me find more innovative ways of growing the business as well and i'm in a much better spot now but it's definitely i'm still kind of clawing to a spot where it's a um I have a better financial structure day to day and I'll totally get there. That's not a, oh, that's not a concern. I'm already on my way, but um, yeah, there were, it was a difficult starting point, but I'm so glad that I did it. And at the same sort of just as I was coming out of the health crisis is when all the parts of my methodology clicked together. It was like, so I had something to <laughs> that, that adversity almost would have driven you. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, giving you motivation, giving you purpose, giving you like most people don't have that wake up point because they don't see the pain. So <sighs> pain is useful. I because... wish I didn't have to have the pain <laughs> to but have, have that to, wake though. up. Like, yeah. but you kind of do, I think. Yeah. So many, actually, so many entrepreneurs I know have come from a background of chronic illness. They've come from a, a background of a health crisis or a life crisis, and they've hit some kind of end point, and they've gone okay. Well. I can't go further here or I don't want to go further here. Um, I don't like the other options, you know, that are available. So I'm going to, I'm just going to work it out from scratch. And it creates a motivation like you wouldn't believe. Like I've heard of um, refugees starting businesses here and they've walked from Syria to Turkey and they've seen some shit and they're, they've got fire in their eyes. They'll, they never need someone else's motivation because it, it's the biggest creator of motivation you can imagine. People are like, how do you sleep? I'm like, I, I sleep really well. I have really good work-life balance. But um, it's just hot motivation. Like I don't, I've never really procrastinated, especially not after the health crisis. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you you understand what it feels like to have everything taken, almost taken away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So every day is a blessing. My memory started leaving oh. as well. I still don't even understand how that fits in. There's a few symptoms we still don't even know how that fits into the equation. Maybe there's several things going on. But I was in like the supermarket, which is like basically a 10-minute walk from my house, and I knew I wasn't lost, but I felt lost. And I knew that this was near my house, but I didn't know where I was. And just it was cooked, mm. <laughs> cooked time. But I really relate to adversity. Um, it's led me to have, despite many other people in the same financial situation, probably wouldn't have done this. But I, I built a pro bono relationship from the start of my second year, and that's a permanent part of my business with Global Sisters. Um, and I love helping other women and other people overcome adversity and create financial empowerment in the life structure that's right for them so there's a real heart in that for me as well mm. and so i'm attracted like with any with your own story there's some elements that share the this mm. path as well and it's like keep doing it definitely you're nailing it no thank you yeah. thank you so much um yeah look the adversity that i've been through um you know manic depression bipolar um really uh, but the benefits of it i speak a lot about it on the show um, and the benefits of it, the level of insight into myself that a lot of people don't get mm. through depression. It's like the, the superpower. The learnings, yeah. And then um, on the flip side of it, the ability to have creativity, energy, motivation and drive that a lot of people don't get as well. And 
this podcast itself, listening on, was born out of me coming out of a depressive episode and then maybe being that little bit more elevated. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't go full manic when I was doing it, but I was a little bit more because yeah, yeah. it's it's powerful when you're coming out of depression because you know that, and similar to you with, with your illness, is you understand what it feels like to be down so low. So you really, so you really know push. when you're having a good day. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, all right, this is... This is it. Oh, so it's yeah. I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Um I think that's actually a really cool spot to end it on. Um but two more questions uh, just before I end. So if somebody has heard something on this show and they want to reach out to you, um the business name is Bonobo. Bonbo, yeah. Bonbo, it's like Bon sorry. Bon without the second end. Don't Bonbo. worry, I I've not heard yep. anyone else pronounce so it correctly. <laughs> so, yeah. um, Instagram. Instagram's Instagram. the easiest way. Yep. Every you can find everything else from there. You can DM me personally, whatever it is. But um, yeah, B O N B O A U for like Australia. Yep. Yeah. And and even though um, I'm global. Cool. <laughs> and Melissa is my name. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, <Melissa. yeah. laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we spoke about it. We got straight in. No, no, we did. I said hi to Melissa, yeah. Um, but, yeah, for, you know, one of the things I hate is uh, if someone messages me on my podcast channel but um, talks to me by the name of the account and not my personal I mean, name. like I do have a name. Because, I'm yeah, well, it's, it's very obvious to find. It's yeah. in the bio of, of the thing, Tim. Take that, like, moment to look as well. Yeah. Like, it's take... not hard and it's very personal. Yeah. Like, be, be human. Because, like, I've, I, I do. I have messages that I'm, like, looking at and then they're like, oh, like, I'd, I'd love to connect or I'd love to be on the show. Like, would or... you? Why would you? Yeah. Well, it seems like I'm not relevant to this. Yeah. <laughs> It's those little micro yeah. things and that all, yeah, comes to Being the... a BDM, that would be like a pet peeve, yeah. I imagine, of you because you could see every little layer that people don't even realise. Exactly. Oh, if I, when yeah. I get sold to, it's just like, come on, mate. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> great here. Come on. <laughs> Not even, but it's like I'm just finally attuned to some stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're extending the show. That's cool. Like I walked into, <laughs> I walked into a Hyundai dealership because um, yeah. I was in the process of buying a car. And this Hyundai guy basically um, didn't even ask me questions. He, he just was like, oh, what's your budget? What are you in here for? I didn't even ask what I was in here for. Yeah, like, well, yeah he was just qualifying me. <laughs> yeah. and, I knew. and then without even knowing, he took me next door because it was a joint one, took me next door to the Alfa Romeo dealership. Oh, so I've walked into Hyundai yeah. and he's taken me to the Alfa Romeo. You don't know what you want. And, and, then, and then he's like, Put me in front of this like four-wheel driver Alfa Romeo car doing his song and dance um, of his sales. And then he's like, cool, all right, let's go sign the papers. And I'm like, mate. Um, hi, <laughs> I just needed your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, if we've got uh, so much access to technology these yeah. days, and this is where sales and marketing, they don't get each other. And it's why I love having done both is this salesperson didn't even ask why I walked into a Hyundai dealership. You know, I've done so much research. I was yeah. fully intending Where to Where are you at? Yeah. Who are you? What, what do you is, want? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and oh. he didn't He didn't realise and it was just painful. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, oh, I just, I just sort of stood there and I was like, look, mate, see ya. Even if I was going to buy a car today, I, I can't be, bring myself to buy it from this dealership. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't name the dealership because yeah, yeah. the guy might not be there anymore. Yeah, and, yeah, and I, assume, I assume he wouldn't be based on this. But um, <laughs> It's just funny, those interactions. Anyway. Oh, um, it's enlightening. Yeah, so the last one I wanted to ask you, Melissa, is, uh, yeah, what's up for you in the next 6 to 12 months that you're really excited about? 
Um, yeah. there's, there's always things. Yes. Um, I have side hustles on the side. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but one of the, one of the, hun- I met, I mentioned like a hunch that I follow that led me to the methodology in this business. I have another hunch that I've had pretty much since then, but I haven't sort of solved yet. And the hunch is around ideas, people. So I'm in for this category sake, I'm one of these people. And it's essentially your best skill is coming up with many incredible ideas, but you don't know what, like you don't want to run the business that that idea is. And there's nothing properly set up. There's all kinds of businesses that are touching around the edges of this. And I I definitely think I'm not the only one with this hunch that's working on it. But I want to create a solution where, which would be kind of business factory is the ultimate goal, where we come up with incredible niche ideas, um, you know, thousands a week if we could, bring it to market really, really quickly um, as a way of validating the idea and a whole bunch of other things. But instead of the ideas person running the business itself, they would give it, there's a whole bunch of people out there um, that also They can run, they can turn the worst idea into the best business you've ever seen, but they know the value of a great idea because a great idea gives them all the Mm. juice that they need to make something. Yeah, their wildest ambitions. And so it's kind of two ambitions together. If the idea person could take equity in the business that the co-founder then runs, I think my kind of idea is that there's so many ideas that are just collecting dust on lists from people like me. I've got lists and lists and lists of things. I'm never going to create those things, but then they're not invaluable. Part of this business is a way that I could perhaps find some of the people that can use that and be like, you use it. I can't, I can't do anything with this. Take it. Um, But imagine how many ideas are around the world that are just sitting on lists. And that's been, there's proof of that since like medieval times. So I want to create something around that. Um, I don't know what yet but i've got a few things in the works cool fantastic yeah. i um so i've been tim you've been melissa and yeah. we've been talking um thank you for coming on oh thank you so much for having me it was Thanks. awesome all right there you have it the episode with melissa i hope you guys really enjoyed that and got some value from everything she had to say if you want to reach out to melissa i'll leave her contact details in the description below apart from that if you guys could do me a massive favor go give the podcast a like review and a subscribe especially on itunes and spotify it really helps out the show and it really helps me to look at the feedback and what you guys are enjoying apart from that if you guys are listening on to this and you're someone who wants to start a podcast but you don't quite know where to start what to do what a equipment to buy this is all something that i'd love to help you through i've got a free facebook group called how to start a podcast which you can go and join that'll be in the description below you can also contact me at tim at beantalking.com.au apart from that i'll see you guys in the next episode